Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Menocast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with Molly Mua and John Roth, who are spearheading the Anabaptism at 500 project. We're going to have a conversation about what Anabaptism means today and the specifics of an Anabaptist Bible. Do we really need a new Bible? What is the benefit of hearing from diverse voices and interpretations? And how can you and your church participate? Thanks for joining us. Carrie, I've seen Ryan in the past little while, but we've missed you. Yes. You've been away studying and being all scholarly-like. Oh, I don't think anyone describes me like that, but it's very generous. <laughs> yeah. How, how was that time away? It was good. You know, it's definitely a different pace than pastoring, um, getting back into school and doing my master's. Um it's been tough, but I think it's good. Yeah, it's necessary, necessary work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I I think uh, all of us can understand the the stresses in the trying to study and work and all these things and family all at the same time can be very stressful. Um, but it's good, good to see you all again and nice to be on an episode together. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to take us back really, really far back to and, and, and see if you know what this date is. October 31st, 1517. Does that date ring a bell for either of you? I'm, I'm going to guess what that is. <laughs> okay. Have something to do with baptism, Let's... maybe? Maybe. <laughs> yep. Somebody, somebody, it's, it's not... somebody important was baptized then, thus starting the Anabaptist movement, I'm guessing. But I am... <laughs> well, it's, I'm tricking you a little bit because it's not oh. that. It's not the beginning of Anabaptism. No. Oh. We're, we're, uh, yeah, it's okay. Oh, yeah, 1517. Uh, John, that's right. That's, that's uh, right earlier. I guess we're not very good uh, Protestant uh, historians no. here. October 1st, 1517 is the day that Martin Luther... The Wittenberg Cathedral. ...nailed his 95... Yes. yes the 95 uh... pieces on the Wittenberg door. Yeah. Yes. Now, I don't know. I, I guess that date isn't as important to us or as significant. Uh, and in all honesty, I did have to Google just to make sure that I had the year right. So it's not like I knew it off the top of my head. But I was in Germany in 2012. And I was visiting family there because half of my family is from Germany. And we had the opportunity to go visit uh, Wittenberg. And to see the Wittenberg door where Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis. Um, and it was it was a really cool experience. Like everything in that town is all about uh, Martin Luther. And there's so much touristy stuff that you can see. But what I found fascinating is that this was five years before the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the town was already promoting. There were banners up that were promoting uh, the celebration and uh, I guess the party and the recognition that would happen in 2017. (laughs) Now that happened a few years ago now, right? And and that was a pretty big event for Lutherans and Protestants in general, kind of marking that 500th anniversary. Uh, And so now let me take you back to a date that will be more familiar to you, that lives more inside of our souls and our hearts. January 21st. 1525. That's the baptism date. That's the baptism date. That's the baptism date. That's right. You tricked us. Um, Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I tricked you. But but this is the one, um, of course, where where we hear the names of like George Blaurock and Conrad Grable and Felix Mons and and, and others. Um, And that's kind of the date that where we recognize the birth of Anabaptism. And now we're still a few years away. But just like with the Protestant Reformation, there is already a lot of work happening um, in the Mennonite church and in the Anabaptist world looking forward to 2025, when we're going to commemorate 500 years of Anabaptism. Now, Carrie and Ryan, like this must just excite you guys so much, right? The 500th anniversary? Stoked. Yeah. I love an opportunity to celebrate. Sure, let's make a cake and do some baptizing. It'll be a good activity for the date. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Have you have you given this much thought at all? I'm not gonna lie, I haven't. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I often joke with my congregation that I might be the worst Mennonite pastor in Canada because I didn't study at any Mennonite <laughs> institutions. I don't. I'm not a history nut. I'm more of a. I have other interests and, um, but. Once I became aware of it, obviously it's 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 interesting, but it, it isn't it mm-hmm. isn't something that's uh, 
you know, dominating my attention these days, I'll have to admit. And, and that's okay. I mean, maybe in 2025, things will change for maybe. you, Ryan, and you'll be all on this, yeah. uh, on this celebration bandwagon. Yeah. Um, but, but maybe more in general, forget the celebration. I'm just curious for, for both of you, like how tightly you hold your Anabaptist or Mennonite identity. You know, maybe you're not worried about the, you know, historical event of 500 years, but um, how important is it for you and your churches just to say like, hey, we're Anabaptists, we're we're Mennonites, and that means something. I think it is important. Yeah, I think we do hold that pretty, not tightly, but importantly. I hope we don't hold it too tightly. Um, just because that's like anytime you're having a conversation, like what is a Mennonite or like, I mean, as pastors, our church dominates our lives. Like it's our calling, it's our work, it's our community. And so we're always talking about, you know, I don't know. I'm always talking about Anabaptism. Like what makes your church different than the church down the road? And, and what do you, you guys believe that is different? Um, so it's always coming up like our Anabaptist identity. And I think as a pastor too, then like it's another layer of like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is like the history that I'm coming from and my worldview, right? It's how I interact with the world. It's why our church interacts with the world the way it does is because of our Anabaptist roots and theology that we have continued on. That was well said. Yeah, well said, Carrie. I, th- I think um, our, our church certainly is very committed to our Anabaptist identity, the church I serve at. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're proud of who we are and we, and we definitely, some of the, Anabaptist distinctives are kind of embedded in our DNA. Um, at the same time, I personally and a lot of people in our church are, are definitely leaning out a bit more into more ecumenical conversations and more multi-denominational conversations in our community. Um, and in those spaces, sometimes we, we, I certainly am I'm drawn more towards what unites us than what separates us as Christians, as mm. human beings. And so, um, and I'm not going to lie, in some parts of Southern Alberta, being a Mennonite isn't really a brand that you always want to associate with. Um, There's there's, there's some trouble down the road to the east of us and uh, a large Mexican Mennonite community with with some, you know, some social issues that are, make the news occasionally. And, um, you know, there's, so in certain spaces, it's not always... I, I almost downplay my Mennoniteness in some ways just because I don't want to have awkward conversations or or, or I want to at least keep the conversation going a bit longer. So um, I, I don't think I have a... Uh, I think I, I'm proud to be a Mennonite and I'm proud to be Anabaptist, but um, I'm also trying to... I'm, I think I'm a bridge builder too in, in our community and I don't... Very often I don't emphasize what makes me different, but or yeah, but what, what, what makes me similar to other people, other uh, perspectives. And what about you, Moses, like in your context? How do you experience that? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've drank the Mennonite Kool-Aid, like I, I'm all in, you know. Yeah, growing up Baptist and then coming into the Mennonite church, there were so many things that really spoke to me and that I really got excited about. You know, the focus on Jesus, the the peacemaking and reconciliation work, um, but also the community discernment was really important to me. And it took me a while to figure that out because I was really frustrated at first with how much talking Mennonites did and how long stuff took and why leaders don't just tell us what to believe. Um, but then when I really started to understand the reasons behind it, the, the historical and theological reasons, I really appreciated it. And and I guess we're going to get into this now, too, because um, through Menomedia, this Anabaptism 500 project is engaging in an Anabaptist Bible, creative work. You know, like I, we're going to figure out exactly what what it's all about. Um, but we're we're wanting to hear from a whole host of people, uh, uh, you know, and giving different interpretations and insights into scripture. Um, and so we're going to explore that a bit about uh, you know why this is important to Anabaptists and and why it might be good for us and and all of that. Um, so maybe this is a good time for us to invite our guests in. We're so pleased to be joined today by Molly Mua, who is uh, working with Menno Media now, but comes from Mennonite Church Eastern Canada. Uh, where she was serving as the Courageous Imagination Project Manager um, and has also been involved in other works uh, with Menno Media, um, like uh, the editorial board for Leader Magazine. 
Um, then, and then we have another guest, also John Roth, who is a, a well-known Mennonite author and professor of history uh, and who was working at Goshen College for 36 years and, and was quite influential there uh, as a teacher, as a professor and a mentor as well. And, and now the two of them are working together on this Anabaptism 500 um, project and, and we're excited to welcome you both in and to to learn more and to have conversation about the, what you're working on and how we can be involved. So yeah, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Uh, thanks uh, for having us on on, on this podcast. It's, uh, it's an honor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, before we get into the conversation about the project you're working on, it'd just be great for us and, and the listeners to know a little bit more about you, uh, apart from the short introduction we gave. Uh, Molly, our, our fellow Canadian, um, why don't you just say a little bit about what brought you into the Mennonite world uh, and also what uh, gets you excited about working with Menno Media and this project? Sure, yeah. Wow, that's a big question. What brought me into the Mennonite world? <laughs> um, that probably would have been um, my parents. Um, as they fled um, Laos from the Vietnam War. And so it was a war-torn country and Mennonite churches were sponsoring refugees and were sponsored by a Mennonite congregation into this area and so that's how I was introduced and my parents were introduced to the Mennonite faith tradition um but yeah so I'll just keep it short to that right now and what brought me to this project um it just seemed like a project that was um really exciting in terms of trying to remember our Anabaptist roots and celebrating that but also um what does it mean to be an Anabaptist living today um, and so that just really captured me and how Anabaptism movement has just become so global, has the many faces that represent that today, and as well as even the products that we're hoping to um, release in Anabaptism at 500. And so um, I've never created an app, but that sounds like something that's really um, up to date and modern and sounds like really fun to be a part of. And so children's books, a Bible, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but just the scope also of the products that we're hoping to um, to create for our congregations and individuals to use to, to celebrate this in 2025. Mm. Thanks. That, that, that's good to note, Molly, too, about the other products. It's not only the Bible, but there's other cool stuff that uh, hopefully will, will bring some, yeah, imagination and, and good resources to our churches as we get to 2025. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and, and John, what about you? What, what brings you into the Mennonite world and, and, and to this project? Yeah, well, when I uh, graduated uh, from, uh, well, from graduate school, uh, I thought I was going to be a historian of 18th century German social history. Uh, but then through uh, a series of circumstances, I ended up at Goshen College, which uh, had a long tradition of, of scholarship for the church and specifically Anabaptist Mennonite scholarship. Uh, the college is home to the world's most comprehensive collection of Anabaptist, Mennonite, Hutterite, Amish related material, the Mennonite Historical Library. And so I retooled as uh, a historian of Anabaptism and uh, sort of reframed my work as scholarship for the church, trying to be a bridge between the academic world and congregational life. And I found that very satisfying uh, in my uh, writing, teaching, uh, speaking in various settings. But after 36 years, uh, I love teaching, uh, but uh, I, I was ready for a change and I'm nearing retirement. And as a, also a historian who's been a, aware of the upcoming uh, commemoration of the beginnings of, of Anabaptism, it seemed like a great opportunity to step sort of out of the routine that I had been, been in for a long time and to devote the last two or three years of my active career to, to this project, to Anabaptism at 500. So I'm, I'm really delighted to be part of this. I've kept an office on the campus of Goshen College, so that's nice to be able to connect with colleagues, but uh, this is now my focus, and it's, mm. been a, it's been a fun ride so far. 
I guess, open question for, for either of you. Uh, has it been a challenge to get other people excited about 500 years of Anabaptism or, or convincing people that this is a, an important event? Or do you find that there's just this natural excitement for people to commemorate 500 years? Well, we recognize that uh, there's nothing magical about the number 500. It happens to be a round number and human brains seem to appreciate round numbers. And we know that movements never have an absolute beginning. So uh, to say that the Anabaptist movement started on a particular day is a little bit <laughs> odd. Um, I mean, there were deeper currents. You mentioned the, uh, you know, the broader Protestant movement that we associate with Martin Luther. Most of the early Anabaptists were Lutherans early on, and they, they were mm -hmm. swimming in those currents. Uh, they were also deeply influenced by late medieval mysticism, by the Catholic Church, by humanism of their time. But it so happens that on January 21, 1525, that dramatic, symbolic moment in which they baptized each other uh, as adults. You know, the word Anabaptism is rebaptizers. They would say, no, we're baptizing ourselves for the first time correctly. That serves as a convenient marker for the beginnings of this movement. And um, so we think it's a, a convenient um, excuse in a way to both celebrate but also to reflect because no group sustains itself for 500 years without ongoing renewal. And we see this as an opportunity to be uh, attentive to uh, what parts of the church are needing to be renewed today? What would renewal look like? How does this movement, this radical movement, uh, what, what are the growing edges of this radical movement in uh, North America and indeed around the world uh, today? So we see it as, a, as an opportunity to reflect on continuity, but also continuous renewal. So as, as two people who are engaged in this project and trying to um, yeah, continue that renewal work from a personal level and, and maybe what you're seeing in your churches and around the world, like where do we need renewal? Where do Mennonites and Anabaptists need renewal today? And of course, there's so many stripes of Mennonites and Anabaptists, but you know, for, for us, you know, most of our listeners would be kind of Mennonite Church Canada, Mennonite Church USA. And, and, and in that context, like where is it that we need some ignition and some renewal happening? <laughs> That's a that's a really good question. Um, there, there's a couple things that come into mind as I think of my context um, in terms of my congregation and in my previous work at MCEC. Um, you know, Mennonites are and Anabaptists are really good at um, social justice and are really great at. Um, you know, getting people, um, I'm thinking of like Midnight Central Committee and we, and getting people the resources mm -hmm. and things like that, 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 that people really need when there's disasters. And so oftentimes I think when we, when we get in the pattern of the doing, maybe sometimes we, sometimes we forget about the why. And I think the renewal is around scripture and I think um, you said that Moses around being Jesus centered and I hope that this is a renewal of um, remembering why is it that we are so about you know nonviolence why is it that we're so about social justice it's because of what it's because we're trying to live out our our faith and because um, we believe you know, truly and wholeheartedly that when Jesus came, these were the values and principles that he was about. And so, um, yeah, I think as we work towards renewal, um, it's it's almost um, a coming back, a coming back to remembering why this is important about our faith. And so it's not just only focused on we need to do this and this and this, which we're great at, but kind of remembering why is it that we do this? What is it about our faith that makes mm. us do these things? It's well said, Molly. Um, uh, I think of a couple of additional areas. Um, for most of our history, the Anabaptist movement has primarily been uh, carried forward in Europe and North America, 
and has had a, a heavy accent of a German ethnic folk identity. And yet in the past 50 years, the Anabaptist movement globally has been transformed. So 50 years ago, there were 600,000 Anabaptists in the world. Today, there are 2.2 million, and the vast majority of them are living in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, outside of Europe and North America. And there is a kind of energy and hunger and awareness that, there, uh, that the ideas that Molly just referenced here that were embedded in early Anabaptism continue to be relevant in widely different cultural settings. And I think one form of renewal that we need in North America is to wake up and be attentive to the fact that this uh, tradition actually is a living tradition that continues to be relevant and speaks into many different cultural settings. Um, and that that's good news. Um, and that we might have something to learn by the vitality and energy that we see uh, evident in places outside of North America. We also um, are in the midst of a tough time in our little corner of God's kingdom. We are are on a path of division and fragmentation. And part of that is a legacy of the Reformation. Groups that emerge out of saying no, uh, you know, sometimes we say Anabaptists are neither Catholic nor Protestant. And that impulse to define yourself by what you're not and to um, uh, identify your faith in the kind of purity of, 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 of uh, practices or beliefs that you are carrying forward that almost makes a virtue out of division. I think we are, are, are seeing some of the legacy, the shadow side of that, um, you know, that high calling to faithfulness that gets married to a kind of perfectionism and an intolerance and a, and a commitment to, you know, not abide any uh, any spots or wrinkles in our in our community and i think we need to confess that and and to rethink some of our past through the lens as ryan was just saying of our shared commitments with a broader christian community there is so much in anabaptism that is part of the the body of Christ as it's broadly understood. And to think that we need to preserve a distinctive identity, I think is not what this is about. This is about, I mean, this commemoration is about saying, how have we encountered Jesus in a way that has some distinctive elements to it that we think are good news for everyone and that we invite you to be part of this, even as we want to learn from from the distinctive elements in, in your tradition. I think that's a form of renewal that we, especially in North America, uh, are in need of. Uh, so, John, you mentioned, like, there's lots of Mennonites, Latin America, Africa, Asia. So how and are those voices being included in this project? That's a good question. Uh, initially, uh, and when Molly and I first joined the project, the visionaries who conceived of Anabaptism at 500 described it as a global project. And that was part of the appeal for me. However, as we started thinking a little more carefully about what we were actually doing, we recognized that the global church was not at the table when this project was conceived. Our timeline is very uh, aggressive, very ambitious, and we really don't have the, the infrastructure, the wherewithal, to make this a genuinely global Anabaptist project that is fully representative of the global church. And so we have backed off on that language, not because we want to promote a kind of narrow focus, but because it isn't quite honest to say this is a global project. That said, we are deeply committed to um, reaching out as broadly as we can across the diversity of faith communities, Anabaptist faith communities in North America. We don't own the Anabaptism at 500, you know, trademark uh, or the rights to this commemoration. We think this, this should include as 
a big a tent as possible. Uh, and that means both theologically diverse groups, but also the racial and ethnic diversity that has been a significant part of our identity in MCUSA and MC Canada uh, in the past 40 or 50 years. So uh, our, our Bible study project, we'll talk more about that in a second, um, the instructions have been translated into French, in Spanish, in Bahasa Indonesian, and we would welcome contributions from other groups outside of North America, speaking those languages and other languages, but we're not pretending that it's representative of the global, global mm -hmm. church. I have to say that that makes me sad to hear that <laughs> because I, I, I was nodding along so enthusiastically with what you were saying, John, about, about how we need to hear from our, our Anabaptist sisters and brothers in the global south because the global south is increasingly where the most vibrancy and, and um, where churches are growing. And, and to hear that this is going to be a mostly North American production in a post-Christian context, um, I would love to hear way more from our, our neighbors to the Global South in, in a project like this. Well, was the timeline ever thought about, was it ever considered to revisit the timeline, or, or was it just too, too difficult to, to broaden that tent? Anabaptism at 502 doesn't sound uh, <laughs> sound as good, right? It doesn't roll off the tongue quite the same, does it? No, Ryan, I hear you, and I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's been, I'm deeply involved in Mennonite World Conference, and I am, am absolutely committed to what you just said. But we have to do it honestly and authentically. And to, to do it on the cheap, runs the risk of one more expression of sort of a North American project that sort of pretends to be global when it really isn't genuinely um, representative. And so I, as much as it pains me, I'd rather be upfront about the limitations yep than to pretend that we're doing something that we really aren't, uh, at least mm -hmm. not with the, the breadth of vision that might be implied by a global project. And I think when it comes to all of our biases too, right, even just reading scripture, uh, just being honest, right? Because <laughs> so often preachers can say things like, the Bible says, the Bible is clear, this is, you know, well, hold on, you know, like, let's just admit first the limitations that we have, and then we can just have honest conversation. So I appreciate that honesty. Um, now, I just wanted to share just a little bit for people who might not know, like what has happened on the end of, um, you know, a pastor's laptop, right, or, or a church secretary's laptop um, with this project, right? First, we get an, an, an announcement uh, about uh, the vision for Anabaptism 500, right? And that comes through different uh, organizations like our churches and Menno Media and, you know, it starts to share some really cool ideas. And I think there was even feedback, uh, a feedback option for people to kind of say, what would be important to you as we commemorate Anabaptism 500? And then we started to hear more about the specific things like the, the Bible or the app or the book, children's books and all that, you know, coming through again through our churches and, and all that. Uh, and then just a little while ago, there was an invitation to be part of this study group, right? That this Anabaptism Bible was going to incorporate the the thoughts and the notes from uh, at least hopefully 500 study groups contributing to this work, right? And so for, from our end, right, when, when we see these announcements and all that, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, always uh, been you know there's it's always come with an invitation to participate and to be part of this project and kind of sharing the work that both of you are doing and all that um i'm i'm curious how that has uh what the what the feedback has been you know have you had a lot of people interested and wanting to participate in, specifically with this anabaptist bible um have you do you have 500 study groups and uh, and all that um, Molly, maybe you want to speak to that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So um, as of yesterday, as I was typing in all the new uh, Bible study registrations, we are at about 135 Bible study groups. So we're quite a ways. We're, we're slowly getting there. <laughs> we're hoping to do a, a large, more comprehensive mailing to congregations out in January 2023. And so... Um, 
you know, hopefully after that uh, congregational mailing, um, more congregations will become aware of that and that'll create and um, more more buzz, more information out there so people can know about the Anabaptist, um, Anabaptism at 500. Um, but yeah, people are excited. Um, we have people like family groups who are meeting on Zoom who are submitting, um, who, are, who are wanting to be part of this. We have... Um, I think there is a group of Chinese pastors that are part of like Mennonite uh, uh, China Network um, that we've connected with. Um, but it is true. A lot of the part- participants definitely are from North America and from MCUSA and MC Canada. But we are making the we are opening the reach very wide. And so we do have some groups from conservative Mennonite backgrounds joining as well. Um, and so, yeah, people are excited as we talk more about and share about it with people. Um, John and I met with some uh, intercultural pastors group here in KW the other week. And, you know, we're saying that, um, you know, this is a Bible study session. So we're hoping that you, know, you can spend four weeks or four sessions anyways to have a Bible study on the specific scripture passages that we will assign you. Um, and so we've said there are three biblical passages that your study group will receive. And so you'll get an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a Psalms and Proverbs text. And so, you know, in your first session, you'll get to know the Anabaptist Bible, the project, get to know each other. And then the last, the next three sessions are when you will do your Bible study on the scripture passages. And so when you're doing your Bible study, you know, we're, you know, have somebody take notes and then you'll submit those notes to Menomedia to us. And so um, we're hoping that people can be excited about that and be excited that the words and the ways in which um, they've engaged with scripture can be read and shared with the, um, yeah, with the Anabaptist family, with the people who, who end up buying the Anabaptist Bible. We're going to take a quick break from this episode to give away another great resource, thanks to Common Word and Herald Press. For this episode, we're giving away a copy of John Roth's book, Stories, How Mennonites Came to Be. This very accessible read tells the story of Mennonites and Anabaptists from their beginnings in the 15th century. If you're someone who maybe hasn't heard a lot about Anabaptists and wants to know where they came from and what it means to be a Mennonite, uh, this is a great book to start with. If you'd like to win a copy of this book, all you need to do is like the post that we're going to put out about it on Facebook or Instagram. So in the next few uh, days, in in the coming weeks, we're going to put out a post and all you got to do is uh, like that post and you'll be entered to win a copy of the book. Uh, Find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well at The Mentalcast. We want to give a shout out to Common Word and Herald Press for sponsoring this giveaway. You can find a lot of amazing books that come from the Anabaptist and Mennonite perspective put out by Herald Press. Check out heraldpress.com to see the new titles that are coming out. We also want to thank the Common Bookstore and Resource Center. If you're thinking Anabaptist, think Common Word. They have over 13,000 resources available for you to buy, borrow, or download. They are the go-to place for me when I am looking for resources. uh, And I know that whenever I call or contact anyone at Common Word, I'm going to get the best advice. So check them out at commonword.ca or in person on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University in Winnipeg. Now let's get back to the episode. One of the big questions I think that people have um, with this Anabaptist Bible project, you know, you have talked about the, and I I really agree with the things you said in terms of a renewal for the church, like Molly, some of the things you said about, you know, connecting back to the why questions and and, uh, our faith and what it is, what is it about our faith in Jesus that compels us to act uh, in in seeking for justice and peace and those kinds of things and and John also the you know the global church perspective and um, you know renewal that we need in North America to recognize the face of Anabaptism now that like those kinds of things really um, agree with those and that our church needs that 
how does the Anabaptist Bible spark that kind of renewal? Like, what, what do you actually hope this Bible would do? Maybe it's in the studying part of it, or maybe it's when someone picks up a completed mm-hmm. copy. Um, do, do you think that's going to do that for people? Well, I think we're um, all aware uh, that the Bible today is problematic in our churches. Um, for many, it has, or at least for some, it is, I would say, a fragile and brittle book. Uh, that people are hanging on to with sort of white knuckles. You know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, uh, often focusing on very specific verses. For another significant group of people, especially young people, I think the Bible is an archaic text that is just irrelevant to the world in which I live. I mean, you sort of know it fits somewhere in our culture, but it doesn't really speak with any authority. And for a lot of people in between, I go to church on Sunday, I expect to hear a sermon preached from the Bible, and I know the Bible matters, but I don't really, it, it's not a living text that, that, that I, I, I want to, I, I read with anticipation that it's going to transform my life. And we think that's a shame. We think the Bible is a living text. You know, the Anabaptist movement started in the 16th century because young people gathered around Scripture and were transformed by what they, what they encountered. And so we, we think that in the Anabaptist tradition, there are some distinctive ways of reading Scripture that need to be remembered, maybe re-remembered. Uh, we've said, for example, that uh, Scripture is intended to be read collectively. Uh, Now, in the Protestant tradition, there's a strong emphasis on individual Bible study, and that's that's fine. We're not opposed to reading, you know, uh, your daily devotions, but at its best, Scripture is understood in the context of conversation with other brothers and sisters who are also gathered around the text. So, we think uh, reading the text together is really important. We've said, secondly, that we think um, reading the text through the lens of Jesus. Uh, We've talked sometimes about a Christ-centered hermeneutic, which, um, you know, doesn't solve all the questions, um, but it, it is a distinctive way of reading Scripture that is in some ways different from other ways of reading Scripture. If you read the passages asking, what does this mean in the light of the fullest revelation of God, in the person the teachings, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, it changes how you uh, work through maybe some difficult uh, passages. And thirdly, we say we read Scripture with the expectation that it will change how we live. And that as we gather together and we, we read this Scripture, we ask, well, what is the relevance to my life? And we hope that by inviting 500 groups to participate in this project, we are reanimating the practice of a collective reading of Scripture through the discipline of a Christ-centered lens, hopefully with the, with the expectation that it will change, change you, and that you will share the wisdom, the insights, the questions, the wrestling that these groups encounter in those texts with the broader Anabaptist Mennonite family in the form then of marginal notes that will become an important part of the uh, Anabaptist Community Bible. So by the way, we're calling it, not by the way, significantly, we are calling this the (laughs) Anabaptist Community Bible because it reflects the process by which this is is generated. Its community has a longstanding value in in the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition. And it also elevates the ideal of how we think Scripture should be read together in community with multiple voices. And we want to recreate that multiplicity of voices in the marginal notes of this Anabaptist Community Bible. Uh, Just uh, quickly to to emphasize um, for the listeners uh, who might be worried that we're you know, we're getting a whole bunch of groups to just translate, you know, from the Greek or Hebrew. You're you're not talking translation. You're talking marginal notes uh, that will be included in a text to go along with an established translation. And the translation you've chosen is the uh, common English Bible, right? That's right. That's right. We 
we we wrestled with that question for a while. You know, translations are not neutral neutral um, decisions. Uh, and we looked at NIV, we looked at the NRSV, which I think in, in our circles tend to be sort of the prominent choices. And in the end, we settled on a, um, a, a relatively new translation, the Common English Bible. It's a serious translation, 120 experts worked on this, on this project. It's not a, a paraphrase, um, but it is a, a simpler the language of the Common English Bible is simpler to read. It's about a 7th to 8th grade level as opposed to 11th to 12th grade level for NRSV. Uh, we learned that a number of immigrant churches have chosen the Common English Bible because of its readability. And we like the idea of it being a people's Bible, uh, a Bible that is accessible. I have to say that we, we, we've started using the Common English Bible in our church occasionally as a result of, of your committee's uh, decision to use it as your translation. So we hadn't used it before, but we've started using it now a little bit, not every Sunday, but so that's one, one, one good thing that you might take from this. Um, just one little church out here in Alberta. But uh, my, my question is, um, if, if I look out at my congregation, we're a small congregation, and we have a lot of diversity of, of viewpoints in our church about how to interpret certain passages. If I go within a 50-kilometer radius of my church, we have probably, I would say, conservatively 15 different Anabaptist denominations who have kind of staked their claim on certain perspectives on the Bible and how it should be read and understood. So there's a sense in which, if I look out there at the Anabaptist world around me, I already see my Bible. I already see uh, a bewildering breadth of interpretation, a lot of disagreement, sometimes some anger, so I'm wondering what would stop this project from just reproducing the diversity that we see out there already. And if, and if like, for example, if we had Hutterites or old colony Mennonites reading certain passages, we'd get very different interpretations than, or marginal notes than we would if a urban Mennonite church in Winnipeg were to re read it, for example. Um, and so how much diversity can we tolerate in interpretation and still call it an Anabaptist Bible, um, or, or who gets to make that call? Or in the end, are we just going to end up with an MCUSA, MC Canada Bible? Ryan, it's a great question. Mm. It's one that we, we have struggled with. And so I'll, I'll offer a few quick, quick thoughts, but um, it's, it doesn't fully resolve the significance of your question. Uh, first of all, um, we are involving um, recognized biblical scholars in this project. So we've asked more than 50 uh, Anabaptist biblical scholars to write introductions to each of the canonical books. And we also have asked them to write what we've called biblical context notes. So we have four different categories of notes and the biblical context notes will largely come from uh, scholars who, uh, many of whom have participated in, for example, the Believer's Church Bible Commentary series or whose work, um, I, I, th I think at least not everyone would necessarily agree with it, but it, it reflects the careful thought coming out of, of the academy. We also have asked uh, a group of Anabaptist historians to read through the primary sources of the 16th and 17th century. You know, when the Anabaptists were writing, they, di they did a lot of biblical commentary. Uh, they, it seems like they committed the entire scripture to memory. So everything they write, suddenly there's a scripture verse there that, that comes out. And so there's a rich uh, a set of resources there. And the, the Anabaptist historians are going through. And if, for example, Menno said something interesting in Psalms 12, 21, uh, they will extract that and uh, put Menno's quote next to Psalms 12, 21 uh, as part of the um, the, the annotations. Uh, so the, the uh, notes uh, that come, we call them faith reflection and cultural context notes uh, that come from largely from the study groups will not be the entirety of what appears in, in, in the marginal notes. But we also are ready to say that um, a certain diversity of perspective is precisely what we would expect and that is what an Anabaptist approach to scripture should 
hold somehow in tension with itself. Thanks, John. Not to not to dive deeper into this, and not even that I I want to ask it, but it's a question I've been hearing. One thing we found at our church is that study Bibles age badly sometimes. Um, we discovered a few years back um, the Bible we'd been giving our grade sixes. I um, my way to judge a Bible is I look up Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm like, what do the notes say? What is it going to say in this passage? <laughs> And the notes in that one talked about how premarital sex was like putting a cat in a microwave. And it was just horrifying and also hilarious. And we were like, we absolutely cannot give out this Bible anymore. I almost want to do like a recall on all the Bibles we've given out in the last number of years and like replace them because this is awful. Like some little kid in bed is like, I'm going to read you the Bible before I go to bed because that's what my Sunday school teachers told me to do. And you're like, what? A cat in a microwave? Um, but I... I think people are wondering, like, yeah, what is the Anabaptist Bible going to do with a passage like Sodom and Gomorrah? Molly, you want to take that one? <laughs> it's a tough one. It's an awful question, but... Um, um, honestly, I think that's um, something that we are still working on, um, especially mm. for the more controversial scripture passages. Um wanting to make sure that those maybe some of the more difficult passages are um yeah are are taken seriously but also in a way that um kind of what you're saying like we don't want to you know put in marginal notes that will easily date but then also outdate the bible but then also that is that can be also a reflection of the current context that congregations find themselves in and so it'll be a it'll be hard to find the balance between between doing that and um yeah and so just also to say um recognize that and that is something that we're working on and um yeah i'm not sure what else you would um want to add john well i think there is a sense in which uh, a bible should reflect its contemporary the contemporary realities within it, which it's situated, it will reflect it. <laughs> Whether you, you know, maybe there are some folks who think that their comments are, you know, timeless truths that will endure forever, but we all are located. My in sermons all are. Okay. <laughs> well, then you better publish them, right? Exactly. Just kidding. Just kidding for all the listeners out there. <laughs> so I could imagine, for example, a certain attention to, um, uh, questions of, of immigration, of refugees, of um, land, that uh, which seem to me to be uh, contemporary. Uh, we're alert to those questions today in a way that we might not have been 20 years ago. And maybe 20 years from now, those themes will look a little bit different. But I hope that, for example, there are notes that are attentive to uh, what, how, how we interpret the conquest, um, uh, for example, of, uh, of uh, or what it means to be a refugee. If the notes say we are opposed to a certain legislative act in the Canadian Parliament, uh, or if they're highly specific to, you know, uh, how a government should respond to a particular question around immigration, I think that probably doesn't fit in the Anabaptist Community Bible. I think that really does date it. And I can assure you there will be no cats in microwaves in, in the <laughs> Anabaptist Community Bible. <laughs> we haven't written, written well, up, the, dogs and haven't written up that <laughs> guideline just yet, but now that it's, the idea Make is sure planted... You <laughs> Well, thanks for taking on that tough question. And now a second, a very important question. Will there be pictures in this Bible? I remember whenever the church gifted me a Bible, anywhere up until university, I'm like, where are the pictures? Molly, that's a <laughs> um, softball for you. Because there yeah, will I... be. <laughs> yes, there will be um, pictures. And so... Um, a part of the decision for us to choose the, I guess, the, the artwork that we've gone with is um, there's a number of different factors, but we've chosen four artists 
Um, so it's not only just one artist, but four. And they're doing, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but lino cut or like um, wood block type of art. Um, so it's um, very simple. It shows up really well in black and white. So there will be 40 pieces and each art, each artist wow. will create 10 pieces of artwork. So yeah, so there are um, yeah two Canadian artists and two American artists that we're working on um, that's working with us to produce that for us. Oh, fantastic. Carrie, I never even thought of that question. Is that not the first thing you did when you got a Bible as a kid? <laughs> yeah. Like, no. where's white Jesus? Oh, there he is, right? Where's like, white Jesus? <laughs> I only say that because all of my childhood Bibles only had a white Jesus, which is clearly right. very incorrect. <laughs> Well, we think about, you know, this, the Bible as sort of an encounter with the Word of God, but the Word does not only come to us in print. The Word comes to us in, in multiple forms, and um, the creative use of, of image and art and the kind of spark of the imagination that can happen with well-executed art, I think is a crucial part of how we encounter the Holy Spirit, maybe, uh, in... Um, the Word of God in Scripture. So I'm glad that we are able to include art. Well, one of the challenges I, I have each Sunday when I preach from the Bible is that I can look out and know that I have a PhD and someone with a grade two education, um, both adults, both reading the Bible, both um, you know engaging on different levels, obviously, but both approaching this book with something like hope and something like expectation. Um, and so I, I think that's part, part of what I hear in this whole project is just the, this, this, this deep Anabaptist conviction that ordinary people can approach this book and encounter Jesus here. We don't need a PhD. We don't need to speak Hebrew and Greek. We can, and that their insights are worth sharing. And I really applaud that. At the same time, I, I, I hear suspicions from when I talk to people about this where, where they're like, well, they better be including some experts because I don't trust just anybody to read this thing and tell me what to think about it. <laughs> and so I, I, I hear you trying to balance those things, and I, and I affirm that tension. I, I'm, I, I guess I, I want to just say good for you, and how are you going to approach that? No, I, it, has been, it is important to us to balance precisely that tension because there is a deep anti-intellectual motif in the Anabaptist tradition, you know, yep. the, the Anabaptist derisively called mm -hmm. people with PhDs the Schriftgelehrten, you learned scribes, or something like that. And um, uh, on the one hand, I, I, I do think scripture is accessible, but I also deeply appreciate the insights that come to us from the careful work of biblical scholars, and we do want to find that balance. The, the uh, Anabaptist Community Bible will also include a number of short essays that address some specific sort of biblical questions or conundrums or challenges that have been part of our communal conversation for a long time. So, for example, an essay on the violence of God uh, in the Old Testament, uh, an essay on the challenges of a Christ-centered interpretation that doesn't become anti-Jewish because there is an impulse. If you say, well, we're reading scripture through the lens of Christ, the new covenant, you, you can slide into without intending to a kind of dismissive attitude towards the old the Hebrew scriptures, what we often call the Old Testament. And those were the scriptures Jesus is using, Jesus is engaging. And um, I, I think it's important that we help readers um, understand that Christ-centered is not uh, to, uh, anti-Jewish. It's not a supersessionist reading of Scripture. And we hope that some of these essays, we, we have an essay on a trauma-informed reading of Scripture, because we, you know, there are stories in Scripture that um, are human to the point of, of raw, cutting, um, uh, horrific in some ways. And um, there part of the beauty of scripture 66 books so many genres of literature there's something there for 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 everyone including lamentations including an awareness uh, of of trauma but there are other passages in scripture that can trigger 
uh, trauma. And we think, you know, being attentive to that is important. Uh, Molly and John, you, you know, like it's there was a public uh, article, a public statement put out by the, the MB Church. I, I think it might have just been MB USA. I don't know if it was Canada as well. And they basically said, you know, we're not participating in this. You know, this is this. And, and I don't know really the reasons behind it, but you have a big group that's not coming to the table. And I mean, of course, then it makes it more MC USA, MC Canada. Um but maybe there would be some MBs that would be like to be involved in it. But now the you know as a conference they've kind of said no, that's it's not for us. And and my guess is because they disagree with us on certain interpretations, and so they just don't want to be involved. But maybe maybe Molly, I'll, I'll throw this to you. Like, how do you deal with that when when a whole group just says no, we're not coming to the table? Sure. Um, I know John John has worked on this a little bit more than, than I have, but I'll just add a little bit and then um, John can speak into that a bit more fully. Um, but I just want to express that um, I think when that happens, I think we feel definitely a loss that, um, that we do want to be inclusive of all voices, but recognize that um, people have differing opinions and we can't we can't make them come to the table if they don't want to, and we need to respect that decision. But, um, but yeah, we would love to have, we would definitely love to have them be part of that, include their voices. Um, but recognize that, yeah, kind of what John said, um, we're going to rub people the wrong way and we're not going to be able to make everyone happy, but this is hopefully this is still a project that people, that others can be still excited about and be supportive of. I think there might also be a little bit of a misunderstanding there in that we were not asking, are not asking for a formal endorsement of this project by any uh, denominational leaders in the, in the spectrum of, of Anabaptist faith communities. Um, and the decision whether to participate or not, uh, I think, is a congregational decision. And the invitation is, is still uh, is still valid. It still holds for a USMB congregations uh, who I hope uh, will will see that this could have merit um, and that participating in the project does not imply that you agree with every single component that is going to appear in this in this Bible. And I think that's part of the what some people call the Anabaptist sickness is that we think that if I associate in any way with someone who is slightly off the mark, it besmirches the integrity of my faith so much that I have to disassociate myself from it. And I just don't see the world quite that way. Um, and I don't see reading scripture quite that way. Scripture is not going to collapse if there is a marginal note that you disagree with. Just disagree with it and move on uh, or, 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 or respond with, you know, an alternative reading and see it as an opportunity for conversation. Or just go on Twitter and, and tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> if it exists still. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, Twitter probably is part of the problem. Yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> We're in, it, you know, this idea that we can only associate with the echo chambers that, that agree yeah. with us is, totally. um, I think, uh, a, a loss in, in uh, the broader culture, but also in uh, religious communities. Couldn't agree more, John. I'm mindful of our, our time, and I mean, this conversation just keeps, seems to be flying. So, um, Carrie and Ryan, do you have any other questions that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, maybe maybe it was already said, but could you say kind of more specifically how people join a study group or get involved with it? Sure, yeah. So you can go onto our website, which is Anabaptism at 500. So it's spelled out Anabaptism AT and then the numbers 500. Dot com, And so you'll get information about the bigger Anabaptism at 500 project, um, as well as the Anabaptist Bible and the Bible study groups. And then once you get onto that page, you can click on, you know, register my Bible study group. And then you'll get an email from me with your scripture passages and with the Bible study guides that we've created. 
So the deadline to register your Bible study group is April 1st. And then we need all the submissions from your Bible study uh, sessions by June 1st. Uh, Carrie was going to sign up a group, but she really wants the Sodom and Gomorrah passage. <laughs> so if you could set yeah, that aside. Yeah, sign me up. Love that. Love my name to be on that. <laughs> She's like, Mom, you should be so proud of me. When you turn in the Bible, there's my notes under Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that's wonderful uh, just to talk about this project. And of course, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of complexities, but how else can it be when you're dealing with a group like Anabaptists in the 21st century? Yeah, I, I really hope that what comes out of this really does lead to the vision of renewal that you're talking about. And and I think that all of us, you know, as pastors or just people in the church, we have our own ideas of what that could look like. But I think we're all kind of longing for that, longing for some type of renewal and renewed energy and faithfulness for the church. Um, and some of us might not actually know what that looks like, but are just longing for that. And so if this adds to that, um, I, I think it's wonderful. So th thanks so much for your time and for joining us. And we, we wish you all the best as you continue in this project. Yeah. Mm, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Grace. Moses, Carrie, Ryan. It's been a great conversation. And, uh, we look forward to, to hearing from your listeners, anabaptism at 500.com. We should do like All an right. unboxing when it comes out. A uh, what? Sorry? <laughs> yes. And like an unboxing. Unboxing. Do you know what that is, Ryan? No, I don't. Oh, Ryan's old. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when influencers, it's typically influencers or like just random people like receive like their order from like something mm. brand new and they yeah. like open it and like show everyone like oh this is the cover and like mm. look at what this does and like anyways it's more of a joke okay but um <laughs> well i feel like i became 0.5 percent more culturally relevant today so that's good <laughs> you can talk to your kids about unboxing i'm gonna do it today. at supper time tonight hey kids guess what i learned I mean, today unboxing yeah. is all we do on christmas morning if we get gifts yeah that's so true that's true that's true that's true kind of has its origins from christmas morning i think yeah I, I'd subscribe, Ryan, to a YouTube channel of you just uh, unboxing the stuff you order on Amazon. I feel like unboxing his, like, groceries from Instacart. Right. I'm like, oh, this orange yeah. is so great today. I smell an internet sensation. Oh, man. Yeah. I would watch it for yeah. sure. You know, I guess the, the big question after chatting with, with Molly and John um, because this, of course, this project is linked to a direct ask, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't happen without people participating. Yeah. So are you feeling like you are, um, are, are you ready to sign up a group? <laughs> I'm inspired. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to take this back to my church and, like, see if we can get a group or two going. Cool. I think, like, what, I was, like, a little, like, at first I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how that would look. But then when they said they're doing this, like, context piece where they're going to have, like, scholars, like, say the context and stuff, and then have people go from there, was my understanding. Yep. Anyways. Yep. Um, I think that I think that would be good. Like, because I don't really want people just going off on their own tangents and thoughts without yep. being told, like, hey, this is, like, the context. This is what's happening here. This is what happened before this and what happened after this, and this is how it fits into the story. Yep. Um, so, yeah, with that tool, I would be very interested in getting some groups on that. We have, uh, we, the, the word has gone out in our church a few weeks ago um, because somebody from our church is actually part of one of the committees that's, that's doing this. And and so the word's gone out looking for participants. I don't think anyone's responded yet. I just don't think there's much mm. of an appetite here yeah. for it. But it, it, now that we know a bit more, uh, maybe maybe we, I can give it a little bit of a push. I, th I think I still struggle with the overall philosophy of it a little bit, but um, it, it definitely sounds intriguing. I'm really excited about, like, an Anabaptist-specific Bible. Like, I'm hopeful, but, like, also a little nervous. But I just, I find that we don't have a lot of Anabaptist resources, and the ones that we have are outdated. Our church gets a lot of people who are not, like, historically Anabaptist, haven't been really in a Mennonite or Anabaptist church, and they like us and they want to join us, but then they have all these questions. Yeah. And I, and I can only answer so many of them, and I can only point them to so many resources. But if I had, a, like, a stack of Anabaptist community Bibles and be like, this will give you a flavor 
of mm-hmm. what we think of scripture and theology, I, I would find it a really helpful mm-hmm. tool, I think. And I think there's a lot of churches now that they are finding tools because we don't have any. They're finding them somewhere yeah. else. Yes. And so I know for a lot of us in Manitoba and Southern Manitoba, we are picking up you know, the more conservative evangelical voices from the states. And, and those voices are shaping us, whether, you know, whether we think they should or not. But um, whatever resources we are picking up are going to shape our theology and, uh, and that. So I, I think having something from our community could be very beneficial. I mean, this, this whole conversation for me just highlighted how, how hard actual diversity really is. <laughs> like beyond just symbolic diversity to actually have real difference and to live with it and to move forward in it is really, really hard. Um, and I don't know if we'll be able to do it. I mean, I think in the end we may just end up with an MCUSA, MC Canada Bible here, um, which, yeah. which I, it's not, it's not that it has no value. It's just that, um, we're kind of reflecting ourselves back to each other. Then we're not actually wrestling with, uh, difference. Mm. Yeah. I think there is a lot of diversity, though, within, like, I know with M- within MCEC alone, like, we do have a lot of diversity. For sure, it's not to the grandeur of the global Anabaptist world or even the global Mennonite church, but I think there is diversity, yeah, in that group. And I, it sounds like they've really worked to make sure that's mm-hmm. part of the fabric of this mm-hmm. project. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm from a perspective that, I'm grateful to have it rather than not have it. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand the limitations. But yeah, what would have a global one looked like? Like that would have been quite neat. Yeah, global yeah, and definitely. and actually Anabaptist, like like all the different groups that fall under that umbrella. There's a very, very wide yeah, yeah. range of... Maybe it should yeah. be a series, right? Like the Quakers can do one mm-hmm. and then the more like the Amish mm-hmm. and then we can, you know, and then we can just have like a little series on our shelf. Yeah. <laughs> like if I were to if I were to go down the road fifty kilometers here and talk to a conservative Mennonite group and say what does renewal look like for you, yeah. oh man, would we get a very different response than what you get in, yeah. in Sergeant Avenue in Winnipeg or something? Um, and and this sure. is this is the world we live in. I mean, as you said Moses at the end, the twenty first century, um, post Christian, biblically illiterate kind of world. <laughs> we're gonna throw a Bible in here that attempts to to uh, to incorporate at least some measure of diversity within a narrow range i think but um it's a it's a it's a big project and it's and it's it'll it'll be curious to see how it lands but it would be neat to turn in the bible right and to be like we had psalm you know 23 and to be like there are our thoughts like that is cool and i think there's like this ownership piece Mm. right where we get excited about things where we've had a part in it or we see ourselves reflected in it Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe those 500 groups, I mean, right there, you got what 500 times four each buying the Bible. It's a lot of sales that's already. Right. There you go. Not, yeah. not that that's their reasoning, but now I'm thinking like, oh, that's yeah. a really good tactic it is, for getting right. this thing sold. You're guaranteeing yourself oh, a market. Man, it's all about the money. <laughs> they didn't carry the capitalist. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah if, if there's only. one thing I know about Meno media, they are all about the money. <laughs> oh yeah. They sure. make lots of money. <laughs> That's a joke, but yes. <laughs> I hope no one takes that seriously. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining you guys and um, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Menocast. You can find us at themenocast.com. Listen to our episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Menocast. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick, for this great conversation. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.